Come on. Thank you, Father. He's up. Do you believe he wants to do you good today? He does. God, I can tell you. I can tell you a fact. That's a fact. That's not a maybe. That's a fact. He wants to actually do you good. He's not looking for opportunities to whack you. He's looking for opportunities to bless you. That's a good God. So you may take your seats today. Thanks, team. You guys are incredible. Why don't you give these guys a hand? I say it because I mean it. We've got to appreciate them. Do you know there is a psalm in the Bible? It's a psalm. It's actually, uh, it was written by David, and it would be one of the most incredibly quoted psalms in all the world. I've heard this psalm in, in uh, weddings and funerals. I've even heard it with, uh, with people who don't actually worship or honor God that much actually will use some of the verses of this psalm because it's just so popular. It's Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I'm not actually going to be speaking so much about Psalm 23, but there is a gem of incredible truth in there that I want to just encourage us with today and uh, inspire us. And uh, so Psalm 23, some of you could quote it to me uh, without even looking or reading the actual page of your Bible or the text on your phone. But it just says, it's a Psalm of David. In actual fact, it's a poem. Don't forget why peas. I just got that message. Sorry, I get. Sorry, Steve, uh, my incredible son in law, is going to take all 12 and 13 year olds out the back and deal with them. No, no. He's going to love them. <laughs> He's going to spend some good time with them. Have a great time, guys. I was just joking. <laughs> Psalm 23. It's a poem David wrote. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a wonderful part. I don't know if it became a song, but it certainly was a poem. And David wrote it in response um, to many things, but thankfulness unto God. And in many, and of course, David's a shepherd boy, and he knows sheep, and he looks after sheep. And so he writes it from the context of that we're the sheep, and our heavenly Father is the shepherd. I think you know that. But let's read. The Lord is my what? Come on, I shall not want. I'm going to read King James. Have you don't mind? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, For you were with me. I must remember that little bit. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the what? house of the Lord forever. How do we do that forever? Have you ever thought, how do you do that forever? I mean, we only live here. You you know, I'm going to die one day and you can't live here in this place the rest of your life. So what's David referring to? He's talking about eternity, isn't he? Isn't that a great promise? We sing the song, his promises never fail. And and the reality, his promise is when we know, receive Jesus into our life, we believe in Jesus Christ and what he'd done for us, that he died on the cross, that he rose to take our sin and we can be forgiven. We have a place in eternity. We have a hope of eternity. And so David, in, and you've got to realize Jesus had not come in Psalm, before Psalm 23. So David prophetically is speaking uh, forever. I'm going to be in God's presence forever. I, I think that's a pretty amazing statement just there. But that's just one of the many statements in Psalm 23 that's just amazing because there's many things here that metaphorically, David, can, we could use metaphorically. If you were to take verse 2, for instance, and it just says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. David, being a shepherd boy, knew that he needed to find some green pastures for his sheep. 
Uh, in green, in, in, in the days of Judea, uh, in those days where we lived in Judea, it wasn't always easy. The climate was quite dry. And so green pastures wasn't always a thing that was readily available. But David had walked the landscape of that country. And he knew at certain seasons where the green pastures would be. And he'd take his sheep there. And now he says, God, would you do the same for me? Would you just lead me into green? And who knows if you've got green pastures, you've got, got grass that has actually had water it's got you know, waterfall on it, and so it's succulent, and it's sustaining, and it's better than dry grass, isn't it? You don't want to go into brown pastures. A lot of the Western farmers know about brown pastures in our state of Queensland. But David said, you know, God, I want green pastures, because God wants to sustain you. And he says, you know, he'll make me lie down in those places. Are those places that are going to give us sustenance and life for not just our physical men, but our spiritual men? If you were to take the next bit, it just says he, he, he leads me beside still waters. This is a God. This is David talking about sheep now. And he says, you know, when you lead people, it's got to, sorry, lead sheep, it's got to be into still waters. Because, you know, if, if you take sheep and you, give them, and you give them a rushing stream or a rushing little river, they'll invariably walk into that stream to drink and their wool will fill up with water. And the, and, the, and the power of the force of the water, when it becomes top heavy or when they become heavy with water, they'll lose their grip of footing and they'll fall over and they'll drown. There's many a good shepherd has lost a sheep because it just, he led them into the waters that were rushing waters and not still waters. Still waters, the sheep can wander in there and just drink to their heart's content. And even though their will fills up with water, it doesn't push them over. Does that make sense? And so God, now David's saying, God, would you just lead me into places where it isn't turbulent? Would you lead me into places that, 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 that it's not going to just be a struggle for me, but I'm just going to find peace and rest and hope and, and I'll be able to drink to my heart's content from you and I'll just, let there be times in my life where there's just, ah. even felt like you needed those times. Ah. Do you know what I've discovered? I can, if you, in Holidays doesn't necessarily bring that kind of ah uh, moments. They can, physically, they can be relaxing times. But I'm found that the ah uh, moment really is in here, isn't it? You've got to find that in the Lord. You've got to find that rest wherever you are, wherever, wherever David was, he was saying. And he had some pretty turbulent times in his life. And so he writes this psalm. So we've got to find, it's an inner rest. It's not necessarily a, lot, a geographical rest even though I enjoy going to the beach and I enjoy having a holiday and getting away, it's really not about that. It's about what's happening in here in your heart, isn't it? A rest. So I want to now just give you the real thought that I want to really kind of drill down on this morning. And it says in verse 3 that he restores my soul. He restores my soul. He being God. Restore is an interesting word because it means to refresh. In the Hebrew, it originally means to refresh you. So he refreshes. And this word soul, interesting, because we've possibly many of us would think soul just refers to our emotional being, our attitudes, our, our thought life. And it does, very much so. But the word soul here is found 750 times in the scripture. That just this word. And it means more than just your inner being. It's talking about your physical person as well. And so when, when David writes this word in the Hebrew, and he writes, he, he refreshes my inner and outer person. Who knows that you, when your inner person's doing well, your outer person reflects that, generally? You know what I'm saying? So 
it's a very holistic word, this, one, this word soul here. It's talking about inner person. But I want to focus mainly on what happens on the inside of us because what is happening inside is more important than often what is, is happening on the outside. This body we live in is just a body. We can decorate it. We can paint it. We can do all things to make it look nice. Someone said to you, your, your cologne this morning is really nice. I thought, I can't smell it. I'm so intoxicated with it. I can't even smell it. But there you go. It's not going to do much out of body good get it right make it look good but in the end it's not that important as what is in oh very quiet are you alive this morning good what's inside and that's what this i want to just focus on uh so he restores he refreshes someone said it this morning he needs to refresh our our person and I've discovered that uh, David understood this. Of all the people to talk about being refreshing, I think David needed restoring and refreshing because he, he knew. I mean, he had a father-in-law that hated him and, and wanted him dead. That was the 10 years. So that was a decade of misery for David. <sighs> Come on. I've never faced that. What about when, they, when he was not newly married and within those first several years, they took his wife, Michal, away from him and gave him, his wife to another man? Come on. Anybody want to go through that experience? David, no one. David, David just went through these experiences. He, if there was ever a man who needed to know God's refreshing and to his inner person, it must have been David. And so it wears him down. And, and that's what David's talking about because much of the wearing down and the corrosion of our souls, we, we get worn down and our inner person gets hurt and it gets... And it gets um, a lot of things can happen, and it wears us down. And, and often I've discovered, unfortunately, a lot of that comes with the interaction with other human beings. And if you don't have a, one, a wearing of your soul, or a, you just don't interact with anybody, isolate yourself. But the very thing that we get so much joy and encouragement from is relating to each other, isn't it? That's why the... Hello? That's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we have church. That's why we have people are in social groups. If on a Sunday morning there is as many people, unfortunately, in social groups as they are in church, enjoying the soccer club and the whatever club and everything club, um, because human beings were created to interact and connect with one another. God ultimately wants us to have relationship with Him, but out of that, out of that relationship with Him flows the desire to connect with each other. That's why we get married. We love the connection, don't we? we I hope so. <laughs> By the way, did any husbands buy themselves their wives flowers this week? <laughs> David? Stephen? Oh. No one else. I thought you would have, Mel. <laughs> But connection is vitally important. So God created us for connection. But the very thing that blesses our lives is that sometimes the thing that can wear us down is that when, it, when relationship goes bad, it can be painful and it can be not positive and it can do stuff and we've got to work. And this is where I think David was talking about. He says, come on, God, you've got to refresh my inner person because, you know, for one, my dad and father-in-law, I'm not enjoying that relationship with him at the moment when he throws spears at me. Um, you know, I don't know. Have you got a family member that just, oh, God, i really got to work on this one. It's not easy. I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got someone I work with. Oh, it's not easy. <laughs> I've got a boss. 
<laughs> no, no, no. no. I've got a boss that isn't easy. I'm a boss and I'm not easy. You know, I don't know what it is. I'm not easy. To, I don't know. I, I, I mentioned last week, just very quickly, as a form of illustration, that, that I had an interesting conversation with my neighbor. If you were here last Sunday, I, I just thought I'd just quickly illustrate the point of what I really want to dive into this morning by just giving you a bit more of that story because it's an ongoing story. Uh, my neighbor, um, earlier in the year, we were on holidays and I didn't know, but a neighbor moved into the unit unit behind us, the house behind us, and, um, and uh, of course, when we weren't there, our two little, wonderful little um, Maltese cross poodles, uh, you know, things, they weren't there either, and so they weren't making their normal little noises that they make. Anyway, when we come back from holidays, they came back, and um, it didn't take too many weeks for her to realize she had neighbors. She thought we were really, like, no one, just really fantastic neighbors, obviously, and really quiet, but we were on holidays, and... Um, so after a couple of weeks, uh, there was another circumstance of another situation that was unfolding with another dog. But anyway, uh, what happened was that she came and saw me and we had a conversation on my front lawn. And uh, it, it actually, it wasn't a conversation. It was a monologue, not a dialogue. Because um, I, I kind of gathered after about 30 seconds, she really wasn't that interested in me talking. <laughs> Even though I tried to interject and just explain to her. Anyway, I apologized to her. I said, my dogs are barking. I apologize. I'm, you know, we've kind of come home from holiday. And yeah, that didn't go over. Yeah, no, it's your dogs. Yeah, you just got to sort yourself out, buddy. You are a problem. Uh, okay, well, actually, it's not me that goes out the backyard and barks. <laughs> but I didn't say that. I thought, that's not going to help the issue right now. <laughs> so <laughs> in the course of conversation, uh, she brought in the heavyweights. So she said to me, I have talked to all your neighbors. I said, really? And we're going to get a petition and we're going to submit it to council. I said, wow. Uh, and I went to say something and she, and then she walked away. <laughs> and uh, I thought, oh, and, and, and apart from the fact that she said, you're a pastor and you should love your neighbor, um, <laughs> that was a real, that's a, if nothing else works, just hit them with scripture. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I kind of came away from that one feeling a little bit depressed about this whole situation. And I found myself, and so, so I found myself not being misunderstood because yeah, she didn't want to really listen to what I wanted to share, so that's cool. And I found my, my emotions being hijacked. And, um, and then I thought, I've got to go and apologize to my neighbors. They're getting a petition together. So I went to Alex next door, and I said, Alex, I started my conversation with him. I said, Alex, I believe I have to apologize to you. He says, what for? And he said, uh, and I said, well, my dogs have been barking, and you know, our neighbor over the back said, you're upset. And and that you're closing your windows. This is what you told me. You're closing your windows because, because of our dogs. He says, buddy, what conversation are you talking about? <laughs> I said, well, the one with the lady, she, he said, I close my windows because I'm not home most of the time. He's a taxi driver. And I, then when I come home, I put the air conditioning on. You know that. I said, yeah, I do. But I just thought maybe there was a shift in something. He says, I've got no problems with your dogs. I said, really? No conversation? No. Oh, okay. I went to Will, who, the ne other neighbor, and I said, Will, I believe I have to apologize to you. He says, what for? He says, my dogs have been barking. He says, mate, I've got a dog. I never hear your dogs. Your dogs are not a problem. I said... 
I went to the lady at the back who's on the other side at the back of me. I said, I believe I have to apologize. She says, what for? She says, my dogs have been... I don't hear your dogs. But you had a... What? I am like, now I'm feeling not only misunderstood, I'm kind of feeling a little bit like... I don't know, what kind of feeling is that when you get when someone's not kind of told you the whole truth and uses something against you to beat you up, up? <laughs> what, do you, what do you call that motion? What? Cross, angry, betrayed. I don't know, but I had this. And all of a sudden I found this, this feeling of... <clears throat> I'm going to go to that lady and I'm going to tell her, you're telling me a big white fib. You didn't talk to any of them. And as for the petition, <laughs> it didn't happen, did it? But I did it because I realized there was something happening in my life that I needed to deal with that was coming out that hadn't come out for quite a while. And that was this feeling of unforgiveness towards this lady. I wanted to tell her what I really thought, and I thought, that's not going to help her. And, and, you know, and besides, I'm actually a Christian, and besides that, I'm supposed to be a pastor, and I didn't feel like pastor material for a moment. And so I had to come to this point really quickly of just forgiving her and getting to the point because I had all these emotions that were just, and my emotions were just stirring up with unforgiveness and anger and revenge, uh, you know, all those type of things. And, um, and it, you know what I discovered over a couple of days? It was wearing my soul down. It was just wearing me down. I was being consumed by the thoughts. And so I quickly had to deal with that. And I said to Father, bless her. God, would you just bless her? Would you just help her? I don't know her circumstances. Obviously, what she told me isn't true. What she did say about her being annoyed with my dogs is true. I have apologized, and I ask you to bless her because maybe she's a, she's a single lady, and maybe there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, and things have happened, and I don't know. And, I, and, and, and you know, anyway, I've just started. I had to forgive. You know what I had to do? I had to forgive. I had to forgive. I had to forgive for all these situations. And I've found that forgiveness, folks, is one of the things, unforgiveness is one of the things that continually wants to wear our soul down. Because on a daily basis, you can sometimes find there's opportunity to not forgive. Now, some of you just, you get little things like happen, someone cuts you off in traffic, and you just move on real quick. It's not an issue. You don't have a struggle with that. But you know, when a lot of little things happen and you start to get, oh, all these bad things are happening and you're just struggling and all seem to happen at once. And then you start to wear your soul and then something just tips you over the edge and you think, where did that happen? What happened? Why did that happen so easily? Sometimes I, I can handle it. And then you, you do a bit of self-assessment, which is always a healthy thing to do. And you realize you're just being worn down. I want to tell you that's when what David was talking about. He refreshes, he renews your soul. And, you know, we've got, to, we've got to learn that and we've got to continue to live in that. Because, you know, God is so intimately interested in seeing good things happen in your life. He's a good God and he wants to give you good things. But you know what? I find I block him out when I don't forgive others. I want to show you how that happens. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Well, Matthew chapter 6, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. And often we call Matthew chapter 6 
um, the Lord's Prayer, but it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's our, it's our prayer that we need to pray to God. And Jesus teaches us in this pr- prayer. You know, he, he says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And he gets to this point in verse 12, and he says this important statement. He says, Would we forgive, uh, forgive us our trespasses, which is an old type word for sins. Forgive us our trespasses as I forget the trespasses of who? Others. Are you there? Forgive the trespasses of others. So it was interesting, actually. So Jesus teaches this prayer to his disciples. There was a little boy who was asked to pray the prayer of the Lord's Prayer or the, you know, the disciples' prayer. And uh, he got to that point in verse 12 and he says, um, uh, he says uh, Father, forgive our, our trash. What was it? Forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive the trash baskets of others. <laughs> and... And the Sunday school teacher kind of pulled him aside and said, Tommy, it, it's actually trespasses, not trash baskets. And a guy walked up to the, a guy walked up to the Sunday school teacher and said, said quietly, he says, mate, he didn't get it wrong at all. <laughs> because we dump so much stuff in each other's lives sometimes that we have to really work hard to forgive each other. And it can be a little bit like that. The trash baskets of our life get full of rubbish that just wants to wear our emotional being down to nothing. And we've got to guard our hearts against it. Come on. So much. So I, t- I want to tell you, when you can live in the realm of unforgiveness, you can live in the realm of so much more peace and joy. Because I've been in those places where you just get upset and it just doesn't create anything of a sense of excitement about life when you're always consumed about what someone else has done to you. And there's plenty of things that will be done to you. We live in a daily process, a weekly process. Sometimes the things just happen, they happen, they happen. You live within your family. You know, Michelle probably has to forgive me probably once every two years. It happens. Amazing that it's even every two. But anyway, it does happen that she has to forgive me sometimes. <laughs> the, moment, the moment Jesus had finished teaching in the Lord's Prayer, the moment he goes on to, um, he goes on to verse 14, 15. Out of all the things in the Lord's Prayer, there's several um, important subjects in the Lord's Prayer. Okay. But he, he, Jesus pinpoints the forgiveness thing, and he says in verse 14 and 15, and then he gives emphasis and he gives context to the forgiveness thing that he's talking about to the disciples. He then, out of all the things in the Lord's Prayer, he takes this one thing about forgiveness and gives more context to it. And he shares with the disciples, he says in verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive who? You. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Interesting thought. See, this is how we block God out of our lives. We just continually live in, in, in revenge or unforgiveness. So if we learn to forgive others, we'll walk under the blessing of God's forgiveness. Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple. If we learn to forgive others, we'll walk under that. If we don't, we'll experience the weight of our unforgiveness hanging in our soul. And that's what happens. It's like a weight. It's like an anchor to our soul. It drags behind us. And I, want to, I just want you to be clear about this. This is not some threat by Jesus. If you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. Now, this is not some threat. This is the reality of what happens, is that the consequences of our unforgiveness, it's a reality that it, that, that it, it just creates a weight within our own soul. God doesn't do anything bad to us. It's just that the unforgiveness creates an emotional weight upon our hearts. It's hard to deal with. See, he wants to forgive, but we choose 
to close the door when we don't forgive. On receiving forgiveness, we close the door. And see, God wants to lift that off us. He wants to lift it, but we choose, and we choose make a choice, and it becomes a weight when we fail to forgive others. If we were to take this whole theme of unforgiveness a little further, two years later, Peter's talking to Jesus, about two years later. Peter's talking to Jesus again. And he comes up to Peter is the impetuous one in the, in, of all the disciples. You know, he, he, he sometimes speaks out of turn. He, he'll sometimes just say things that is a little bit like uh, a little bit off. And Peter, but at the same time, Peter is the goer. He's the, he's the shaker and mover amongst the disciples, the 12 disciples. And so Peter, Peter it, it comes to Jesus and, says, and Peter must have been having some trouble with unforgiveness. And so he comes to Jesus and says, How many times in, in, in Matthew chapter 18? Verses 21 and 22, he says, uh, Lord, how, many, how often shall I, my, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then um, up to seven times. Some of you would know that the Jewish law said somewhere in their laws, they'd written this law, you shall forgive a person seven times. On the eighth time, just go for it. You can get revenge. <laughs> so that was the Mosaic law. Um, seven times. And mind you, it would be very difficult for a person to do the same thing to or just seven times. But you know, never know. You never know. And so Peter's saying seven times. So, you know, and, and, and Peter must have been thinking, I know my law. That's good. I'm doing well. Oh, <laughs> cool. And Jesus says, oh, you idiot. No, 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 he doesn't say that. He says, he must have been a big smile. He, he, he would have said, Peter... 70, 7 times 70. And if you do your mathematics, that's 490 times. Do you know what Jesus is really saying? He's saying it's an infinite number. In other words, it's not, it's not how many times you have to forgive, but live in a lifestyle of forgiveness. Live a lifestyle of it. Live a lifestyle of it. Because every day, every week, every month is an opportunity to offend someone or someone to offend you. Live a lifestyle of it. You know... And I'm probably preaching to the choir here because we've probably got this whole forgive, unforgiveness thing totally wrapped up. That's why you're here. Because you, you sorted it. you, you got no problem. But, you know, the trouble is I find that, you know, sometimes I've just got to, re, I've got to think about it again because opportunity comes up. It's amazing how many times situations can come at you that you've never experienced before for you to have unforgiveness. You know, it's just different circumstances, different situations. You know, it's amazing. Like, the number of times it happens in life. I remember I parked my car once too close to another guy's car, and he wrote this note and left it on my windscreen. My goodness, it had the four-letter word. It had everything in it. I, and after I read it, I thought, my goodness, I am a terrible person. <laughs> Didn't have to deal with that one. I remember the time I parked my car in a, in a, um, I, um, in a uh, wheelchair car park. And some of you heard that story. And this, this lady who usually parks there, who's, who walks with an incredible limp, come up to me and knocked on my window and said, you've parked in my car park. And I looked down and said, oh, I'm sorry. This is under a tree and all the leaves fell on the, on the actual icon of the wheelchair and I didn't see it. I'll pull out and you can hop in. And, and she said, no, I parked my car. <laughs> I'm like, I had to deal with some unforgiveness there. I don't know what you go through. Is it just me? No, it must be just me. Yeah, just me. Thank you. And then you have your family members, your sisters, your brothers. Oh, we can get offended with them, can't we? <laughs> mm. 
you've got to deal with it, haven't you? So Jesus is saying a lifestyle of forgiveness. He's saying, Peter, stop counting. It's a lifestyle of forgiveness. Because if we don't want the nagging sense of unforgiveness in our soul, then live in forgiveness ourselves. Do you know what? Jesus goes on to clarify this point in, 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 in this Matthew 18 when, it, when they ask him, when Peter says, how many times should I forgive someone? And then in that whole chapter, in the same chapter of Matthew chapter 18, he gives us an illustration. See, Jesus is really trying to pump this home to the disciples because they're going to have every opportunity as when Jesus finally leaves the earth for them to get offended, upset. I mean, every disciple was martyred except John who died of old age. I mean, they were mistreated. They were stoned. I mean, they needed to know how to forgive people. Would you agree? And so Jesus is really pumping this message. And so in Matthew 18, he tells the story of a king. This king has a servant and, he, and it's tax time, it's time to you know, repay debts. And so he gets the servant before him, he says, repay your debt. And this, this servant owns, in equivalent to today's um, um, currency, millions and millions of dollars. Can I just say this? This is an unreasonable, um, the truth is, it's an impossibility for this servant to pay back. Because he's a servant, he'll never earn that money in his lifetime, let alone pay it back. I don't know how he got into so much debt, but he did. And so the king says, pay the debt or I'm going to throw you in jail. And the servant says to the king, O king, he makes an unreasonable request. You know why it was unreasonable? Because it was impossible to fulfill apart from what God could do. And he says this, O king, would you please forgive me and I will repay this debt. But don't throw me in jail. I will repay you. Would you please understand he asks him that that's an unreasonable request because it was never possible do you know what the king does he goes beyond that and he and he says you know what i'm going to forgive you the debt i'm going to wipe it clean i can see that you you know you're never going to pay it so i'm not going to throw you in jail in actual fact i'm going to even do better i'm going to forgive you servant number one he is so happy he goes out, so he's walking down the street. I have been forgiven a load off my shoulders. The king has forgiven me. I've been cleared of my debt. And servant number one comes across servant number two. And servant number two owes servant number one 100 denarii, which is very payable within six months, if you literally look at the currency trend. It was just a small amount compared to what servant one had been forgiven of. Servant two owed very little. Servant one says, pay me the debt or I'll throw you and your family in jail. Servant number two now makes a very reasonable request. And he says, don't throw me in jail. I'll repay the debt. Would you please just give me time? Reasonable request. Servant number one says, no, in the jail you go. And then these words in Matthew 18, verses 23 to 35, are written there. And it says, in the servant number one through servant, it doesn't say servant one and two. It's like bananas one and bananas two. Doesn't it? But servant number one through um, servant number two in the jail with his family and then said this ridiculous statement, pay the debt. How can you pay a debt when you're in jail? Do you know what unforgiveness does to you? It really... It really screws up the way you think. How ridiculous. How, it's, it's, it's insane to think that he's throwing this man into jail for such a small debt, but then says, oh, it's, Scripture says, you're in jail until you repay the debt. How do you repay debt in jail? You don't. You can't. You haven't got an income, have you? So it's an insane thought. Here's the thought that I want to bring out of that simply this. The, the thing with unforgiveness, when we allow it to become deep-rooted and, and turn into bitterness and it starts to consume our lives, is just like servant one threw number two into jail, 
when we, un- we have unforgiveness, we put our own heart in jail. And just like servant one expected servant two to go to jail and for a good result for the debt to be paid, we, can expect, we put our own heart in jail and yet expect a good result in our lives. It's not going to happen. Unforgiveness will keep us hurt, revengeful, uh, if it gets that far, bitterness if it gets that far. And yet we expect a good result in our lives and it's never going to happen until you release the, forgi- the unforgiveness. You've got to release it. You've got to release it. And, the, and just like servant one expected him to pay the debt and yet be in jail, we put ourselves in jail and expect a good result and we're never going to get it until we release that. Here's the interesting, another interesting thing is that the king finds out about what servant one done to servant two and he says to servant one, come here. What did you do to servant two? I forgave you an incredible debt and uh, I didn't, uh, and I released you and you didn't go to jail and yet you take your fellow servant to jail for such a small debt. You put him in jail. He says, this is the result now. And isn't it interesting, king put servant number one in jail. Now, not because he didn't, he had unforgiveness towards him and wouldn't forgive him for his debt. It was because of his consequences of what he wouldn't do for servant two. And that's what unforgiveness does. The consequences of unforgiveness puts our own heart, as I said, in jail. Interesting thing about it. Here's the lesson. See, we, we can't live under forgiveness unless we live out of forgiveness. And you know what? When we fail to, uh, to forgive, we're willing to, we're willing to receive the same problems I dish out to people who I do not forgive. Because that's what happened to servant one. He put the servant two in jail. He himself, the king, finally put him in jail. I'll say it again. Am I willing to receive the same problems I dish out to people who I do not forgive? That's a thought just to comp- contemplate, isn't it? I don't want that. God doesn't want it for you. Uh, he's come to give us goodness and blessing in life but we assign ourselves to this prison when we fail to forgive it's prison of emotion and it can be at different levels and we wear our soul down how do i know i'm carrying offense and unforgiveness how do i know that well i've just put a little list together of what i've discovered in my life of how i know do you know what number one my judgment becomes clouded just like the servant number one put his fellow servant in jail and expected him to pay the debt i start to think all different stupid stuff and 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 uh, we just don't think clearly number two the offender's name is always on my lips too often too often do I find myself thinking about it. Oh, that person. Oh, that person. Oh, yes, that person. And you know, what you've got to do is you've got to turn that around. You've got to stop. You know, you find that this is a sign that we're just carrying something and you've got to release it. You know, uh, too often out of the heart the mouth speaks or, or, or our mind starts to think, doesn't it? And if you're always seeing that person, you've got to realize maybe there's some element of unforgiveness. Thirdly, the person's name or face causes a negative reaction. It, it, it turns your peace to anger or you get upset or you just, <laughs> you know, that's a sign. Maybe you've got to deal with that. Uh, four, I have unrealistic expectations of justice. Unrealistic expectations of justice. You know when you see that person that you haven't forgiven getting blessed? They shouldn't be blessed. <laughs> it's not that you want anything really bad for them. It's just when you see something good happen, you go, no, they shouldn't be being blessed. They've done this to me and they've done that to me. And, and you know, and that's a sign. You know, secretly, you're wanting them to be 
you know, secretly, not, not outwardly. You're never telling, oh, I just don't like what they Five, I carry a desire for revenge. We won't go any further with that one. Uh, six, if you allow it, it becomes, you become bitter. It someone's, and this is an oldie, but it's a goodie. Someone said unforgiveness is like putting a poison in someone's drink, but you drinking it. <laughs> uh, seven, I invite the enemy into my world. That's really important. Do you know it says a disobedience to God is like the sin of witchcraft in Revelations? Now, this is an interesting thought, but you know, when we live, we live in obedience to God, when we see what his commands say and love our neighbors, help me to do that, Lord. <laughs> um, but we love our neighbors and we continually live in obedience to him. You know what? It's like this umbrella of protection that he puts over our life and blessing flows. And it's not like, you know, that's, just, that's just our God. But you know what? When we, we, we're disobedient and we live in maybe this realm of unforgiveness, we step from underneath that umbrella. And it says that sin of disobedience is like the sin of witchcraft. You know, witchcraft is directly in, in line with the enemy's taunts and the enemy's suggestions, people who indulge in witchcraft. And, and so they, they get tormented by the enemy directly. There's no blessing or covering for a person who's indulging in witchcraft. And you know what? It's, and Jesus says the sin of disobedience is like the sin of witchcraft. Woo! So that means I step from underneath God's blessing when I, dis, when I unforgiveness. And, you know, the enemy has direct, intimate, trying to, um, suggestions you want to bring into my mind about how my life and what I should think and so we've just got to be careful unforgiveness is like that and he wants to bombard us with we've just got to say God as soon as you say to God I need help you step under his umbrella and, and he says yeah yeah we can work on this it's a process I understand it's, it, but let's work on it let's move forward um, with this forgiveness thing we can, we can do it if you enlist me he says the scripture says in our weakness we can know his Strength, can't we? Hello? We can know his strength in our weaknesses. I have weaknesses. Just as much as we've got to allow him. See, we've got to realize it's not what happens to you in life that makes, uh, that uh, breaks your, or makes or breaks your future. It's not what happens to you. It's, it's, but it's how we respond to what happens to you that makes or breaks your future. You know that? It's amazing some people have such horrific situations happen in their lives, and yet they come out with this incredible smile and they go on to do great things. How does that happen? It's because they've decided to not let what happened to them rule their lives. And you've got to make a decision today about what happens to you is not going to make me or break me, but the decision and the attitude I have will be the thing that makes you and break you. And I'm going to make a decision to forgive. I'm going to make a decision to, uh, to love. I'm going to make a decision to encourage. I'm going to make a decision today about things that happen to me. Um, can I just, we can finish with this and the team are going to come. But how do I forgive? How do I deal with these issues? How do I forgive? Here's a real quick four-point plan. I just, I love this thought. I just try to carry this out. I request grace. And exactly, I can be so caught up and so consumed by the thought of what's happened to me, what someone's done wrong to me, the way they treated me. But you know what? I just say to God, I need your grace right now. Jesus, you had incredible grace on the cross because you said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Could, could, you just, could you siphon a bit of that grace into my heart so I can forgive? I just request your strength because I cannot do this on my own. Here's the second one. Release the offense and the offender to the Lord. 
let them go. Let them go. And uh, you've got to do that. Because now, unforgiveness doesn't hurt, hurt the pe- person. It just hurts you, doesn't it? And if we continually hold it and we nurse it and we caress it, our, um, our, this, you know, our anger and our frustration, if we nurse it and pat it and look after it, it's just going to grow in our hearts and we don't need that. We've got to let it go. You've got to get rid of it. No one, you know, no one picks up a, a viper or a dangerous snake and you know, just allows it to bite them and we just caress it. Oh, it's okay, it can bite me, but you won't last too long. So we've got to be aware of that. So we've got to request grace, request grace, release offense, relinquish. Here's the third, relinquish your rights to get even. Relinquish your rights to get in. God's not interested who's right and wrong. He's interested in what this unforgiveness does to our soul. And he wants to bring peace and joy in there. Um, um, we've, just got to, we've just got to let, we've got to, you know, relinquish the right. And get to the point where we can look at that person and say, bless them, Lord. I just bless them. I bless them. Sometimes in my prayer, I'm just reminded of situations I've had in my past. And the, and the, the person's face would come up in my mind. And I think, oh, another opportunity. Bless them, Lord. And I visualize them being blessed. And I see them and I say, God, bless them. And encourage them and help them, Lord, in their life. I see that. And I don't have this little prayer, get them, God. But no, I just continually pray, bless them, bless them. And that's the way I know that often I've just dealt with it so much better than in the past. And here's the last one. So request grace, release the offense, relinquish your right to get even, and reposition your thoughts. Reposition your... Because the stinking thinking is here, isn't it? This is the battlefield in our minds. And you've got to live life with a forward focus. Paul actually said, you know, I press on towards the mark. And forgetting those things which are behind me, I move forward. You know, we all drive our cars, and there's two windows that you need to look at. There's the front windscreen. You need to continually have your eyes forward most of the time. Would you agree? If you're driving, looking everywhere else, that's not a good driving kind of position to have. You've got to keep looking at the front windscreen. That's why it's (laughs) see-through. So you can see through it. to what's happening in the future. So you got to, that's where you need to mainly focus. You've got to be moving forward. And if there's one thing you've got to move out of, Andrew was even talking about this morning, out of the past and move forward. Because you drive down the road and it's not more than one second after you pass, is that's past, that's future. That's, that's not your future, that's your past. And we've got to move forward from there. The other window in your life that you need to remember to look at every now and then, just for reference, it's not to be stared at. It's not to be given great attention to. It's the rear vision mirror. And every now and then, as you're driving along, you take a quick reference to check what cars are coming up behind you. To check, because when you, when you know where you've been, you can know where you go. Do you know what I'm saying? And so often, sometimes, when, I, when I've come, I'm moving forward in life and I come up against something, I have to forgive someone and they've done something and I have to forgive them and I know I have to forgive them. But then I just take a quick look in the rear vision mirror and I give a reference point to what I need to do in the future because my reference point is, oh, that's how I forgave them. That's, you know, in the past, or that's how I dealt with that issue that was, uh, might be completely different to the new one. But I remember, oh, that worked so well. I blessed them, I prayed for them, I forgave them, I released them, I relinquished it, I didn't allow it, and I, quick reference, quick check in the rear vision mirror, and I can move forward again. 
because I remember what I did and that's what I need to do again, no matter how greater. And sometimes it seems like as you move through life, the, you know, new levels, new devils. And, and, and it even, oh man, I thought I'd never experience, have to experience this. I need, I need extra belief and faith and unforgiveness right now, God. But he's there for us. And as we drive, we're going to keep our eyes frontward focused and moving forward in life. Every now and then when you come across a speed bump, just take a quick check in the rear vision mirror to check, reference yourself. Yep, that's what I've dealt with before. Let's move forward and let's continue to keep my eyes focused. Because if you drive looking in the rear vision mirror, always remembering about the problem and not just using them as reference points, but using them as anchors for your soul. Oh, that's who hurt me and they hurt me. Folks, it'll, you will never, you're a dangerous driver driving, looking in your rear vision mirror. It doesn't work. I've tried it. My wife tells me, honey, are you got your eyes on the road? Yeah. Well, not that road over there, this road here. We've got to be careful how we drive. Can we stand this morning? Can I encourage you today? Jesus, as he stood, on, as he, stood as he died on a cross, he said, Father, forgive them. What a powerful thought. What a powerful thing he did. What an example he was to us. He continually, Matthew 6, Matthew 18, he continued to pump this story to the disciples. Forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. Today as we stand before him, my prayer would be that you would allow the presence of God just to allow to soften your heart. And maybe today there's some things that are just a little hard. And folks, I put my hand up today and go, yep. I've experienced some times when it's just been pretty difficult, especially when you're misunderstood or when you, something, gets, uh, something happens and there's just no truth in it, things like that. And you know what? You've got to forgive. And I've had to work through that. And I've had to say, Father, I need you. I need you so much. I request your grace today. I relinquish control. I reposition my thoughts today. My Holy Spirit, just come. Even now in this meeting, Holy Spirit, I pray. Just come. Because there's some people who are precious people. You know, God loves you so much. He doesn't judge you wrongly. He looks at you and says, come on, relinquish control. Relinquish. Give it over. Give it over. I love you too much for you to have that, that cancer, so to speak, in your heart. You don't need it. Give it over. Right now, as we just could close our eyes, we just start to just give over. How about right now? The whole church is just an altar call right now. Holy, would you just start to hand over? Would you take a moment just to say, Father, here it is. Now, you might through gritted teeth, and then you know in your heart, you go, oh, it's difficult, but it's the process we need to start. Because I found as I keep on banging away, it's saying, I forgive them, Lord, and I bless them. I forgive them, and I bless them. I tell you what, it starts to be, produce fruitfulness in my life of forgiveness. Right now, wherever we stand, come on. That, that relative that just really done you in, or that loved one, or that friend you thought was a friend, that work colleague, or that boss, that person you don't even know who treated you so badly, that neighbor. <laughs> or maybe you're here today and you know you've done something to someone, and maybe there's an opportunity that God will put his hand upon you and just say, seek forgiveness, seek forgiveness, ask for mercy. Don't go walking up to a person if they don't know about it. I just have to forgive you because you got, you're, you're terrible. <laughs> but I'm just going to forgive you anyway. Don't do that. That's seeking revenge. That's just not the right way. Make sure fact, if they don't know about it, don't say anything. Just deal with it in your heart. 
So today, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we pray right now. Let there be bursts of your presence that would just touch hearts and remind people and release people. Father, from this past, these issues, these circumstances, in the name of Jesus, right now, in Jesus' name, the process will begin, the forgiveness will flow, and the love would so touch our hearts, your love, that we can't do anything else but be consumed by your love and not by the problems. Father, we ask that right now in Jesus' name. You know what God says? Three things. Forgive yourself, seek my forgiveness, and forgive others. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you today as we just come and worship just for a moment to allow you to do a work in our whole lives, Holy Spirit. Because we need you. We want to live free and we don't want a worn soul. We want to walk in pastures, green pastures, lie down in still, beside still waters. We want to know a refreshing of our soul. What joy and peace fill my heart when we can do that and we'll fill all our hearts. Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Come on. We're going to sing this worship just for a moment. Just going to be praying this week for the, if, I don't know names. I'm not going to pray for names. I just want to pray for people that, that this process will continue, that you'll continue to see release and joy and strength. Come on. Yes, Lord.